The thoughts, opinions, and general overall shades thrown on High at Nine News are those of the individual speakers and not those of High at Nine News, its audience, or its advertisers. The statements made do not constitute medical, legal, or financial advice. And for advice tailored to your specific situation, please consult with a licensed professional. Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at nine with us. Oh, yeah, that's right. Good morning, everybody. It is Thursday, November 16th, and today is National Pancreatic Cancer Day. International Check Your Wipers Day. That's right, because it rained here a lot last night in L.A. It's International Day of Tolerance. National Rural Health Day for everyone out in rural areas. And National Indiana Day. Oh, mad Mothers Against Drug Driving Tie One. On for Safety Holiday Campaign. And, oh, you'll love this. It's National Button Day. National Fast Food Day. I don't understand why National Fast Food Day is even a thing. I think you read it wrong, Jason. I think it's National Butt On Day. No, 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 no. It's Button. Button Day. <laughs> button. I, I see what you did there. That was real cute. And, of course, are you ready for this? This is for all those tobacco smokers, but I think this correlates with cannabis as well because today is the Great American Smokeout. Oh, yes. Thank you for joining us and getting high at nine with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. Use the QR code somewhere on your screen to find out where we live on the Internet. We are live every Monday through Friday on YouTube. And now we are also streaming on to Twitch, Twitter, Facebook and Rumble. So welcome to anyone joining us from any of those audiences. But we are going to kick it off with, that's right, it is the dope dad himself. It's Rico Lamite, who has been adjusting his camera to... I broke some shit back there, man. Oh, I'm sure about to, we're about to break the internet today. Shit's going down. Let's do it. Oh, yes, it is the dope dad himself, Rico Lamite. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What's happening, everybody? I apologize for the late adjustments here. Uh, Adam uh, on the production team was uh, trying to tell me to do shit before we got started and not knowing that I'm already set in stone. But either way, we keep going. (laughs) All right, so Jason, my story today comes out of the Big Sky State, Montana, in a much-needed victory for plant-touching operators everywhere. Uh, Montana District Judge has effectively blocked cumulative cannabis dispensary fee hikes. Under a new law recently signed by the state's governor, each additional Montana pot shop license is set to be more expensive than the previous. But a lawsuit filed last week by the big three sky operators, uh, by three big sky operators, put a pause on the fee hikes with many supporters hoping the shift becomes permanent. Here's what's going on in the big sky state. In May 2023, earlier this year, Governor Greg Giaforte signed into law House Bill 903, ordering cannabis retail owners to pay a fee that increases cumulatively by $5,000 for each additional location under the same license. So owners of two dispensaries would have to pay $5,000 fee for the first store and $10,000 for the second, amounting to a total fee of $15,000. Want to open a third? Fork up another $15,000. A fourth? $20,000. Y'all picking up what I'm putting down here? Uh, Ultimately, each additional dispensary would be more expensive than the previous instead of a flat $5,000 rate Montana entrepreneurs were previously accustomed to. But last week, Lewis and Clark County District Judge Mike Minahan said that enough is enough. On November 8th, 
The district uh, court judge granted a 60-day preliminary injunction blocking the state cannabis regulators from collecting additional fees from dispensary owners owning multiple uh, facilities beyond the original flat $5,000 structure. Minahan also ordered fees already paid by licensees exceeding the flat $5,000 fee structure must be earmarked by the state's Department of Revenue and returned if they're deemed to be permanently enjoined or if the provision is stricken from the state law by court order. Um, Cannabis Business Times noted that under Montana's voter approved adult use initiative that passed with a 56.9% majority in the November 2020 election, the state's Department of Revenue cannot impose fees that, quote, exceed the cost of required background checks and associated administrative costs of processing the license. In other words, cannabis licensing fees may not exceed the amount necessary to cover the state's costs for implementation and enforcement of the industry. For the Montana Daily, Three plaintiffs in the case said that the increased fees under HB 903 go beyond the cost of regulation and that what they owe for their licensing renewals under the new fee structure would cause them to close dispensaries and or lay off workers. Before Minahan's injunction, the Attorney General's office argued on behalf of the state since Montana has the fourth largest land mass in the nation that the financial burden of regulating an adult use industry is greater than that in smaller states. Claiming dispensaries have opened everywhere and in unique areas, all of which must be regulated. And all of this makes time and resources for which the taxpayers in Montana should not be on the hook. Data from Montana Department of Revenue shows that since launching adult use sales on January 1st, 2022, Montana's licensed cannabis uh, dispensaries have reported over half a billion dollars in adult use and medical sales, averaging 26.6 million a month so far in 2023 this year with sales generating nearly 90 million in tax revenue. California was the first state to legalize medical cannabis in 1996. Since then we've seen medical access expanded to 40 states in the union in Washington DC and adult use in 24 states plus once again, Washington DC because Jason doesn't think it deserves to be a state. But it hasn't been all sunshine and rainbows along the way. From municipal levels up to the broad view of the federal government, the one thing each state's failed at is passing forward-looking legislation in favor of plant-touching operators from the jump so they can grow. State after state, we've seen special interest groups and large corporations with ulterior motives hijack community narratives, leaving the ones who initially fought for a regulated industry out to dry. Much of it's because states use the wait-and-see approach, waiting for others to do it first, then emulating their failed approach at progress with heavy-handed suffering on the tail end for bright-eyed, eager-to-operate licensees. Could Man- Montana, the big, sty- big sky state, big sky state, of all places, be the state that finally breaks this change? This chain? I, I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm going to leave it up to you. I'm just Rico Lamit, the dopest dad on the street for High Nine News. What do you guys think? Could this be something that other states catch on to? Could we see an ups, uh, uprising, a resurgent of uh, small operators being able to uh, um, economically approach expansion, just like the bigs? What do you think, Jason? My answer is no. I, I'm not. No. No. <laughs> no. You don't see other states no. emulating this approach? This is a very, very uh, a small I think I think this is people. fantastic news, Rico. Okay, so I don't want to detract from that, but your question <laughs> Was is this is this one action gonna allow smaller shops to level up like the so-called MSO big boys? And I'm I'm not I don't see that as a reality. They're gonna be able to afford expansion a lot. Uh, uh. They, they 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 may they may, but we're talking about expanding stores into multiple states and whatnot, and that's I'm not seeing that from this. Well, I'm saying in other states, I think they should follow. What I Montana's I doing. I totally agree with that. I do think other states should follow suit, and you know, hopefully this this sets some type of precedence uh, precedence in regards to that. And I'm I'm totally in support of that. What do you think about this one, Rochelle? Rochelle, I agree that like they should, but will they? But we have been seeing it happen in other states, right? Like dispensaries and operators are banding together to you know bring out lawsuits and try to take on uh take on the man and i don't think it's you know too unrealistic to believe that they could band together will they succeed that's another question yeah speaking of uh speaking of taking it to the man dale what do you think about this well 
what what I'm sensing here is that other states besides California don't allow you to charge fees unless they're directly related to what it costs to enforce or to uh, oversee the license or whatever it is you're granting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've fought this battle in court myself. California, they want to charge you fees for every goddamn thing. Yeah, they do. And and it becomes a tax, and a tax has to go to the voters. Mm-hmm. That's the runaround we have here in California. I agree that you should stop this kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, small operators, the, what it costs to get up and running and then to throw money at these lawsuits, it's a, it's a big ask. Um, wish more groups would step up and, and take over these. But you've got to stop this somehow, and the courts will stop it, but it's expensive. You know, and no one's going to pay your fees at the end to go stop all this nonsense. So you're sort of behind the eight ball. It'd be nice, wouldn't it, Dale, if some of these like pro bono law firms that want to always claim to be doing so much greatness for different communities and whatnot actually funded some of these lawsuits to help get people get real relief so they didn't have to fund them. Well, it would be. But those are marketing. Um, I don't want to knock anybody, but so much of this is propaganda and they're just full of shit trying to get people to come to their firm and they'll do small things, but they really don't like the ACLU will go in and do things like this. Um, but you know, other, other law firms, they got a bottom line. It's a business mm-hmm. and you know, it's just, the money's not there. And so you've got to people fund it somehow because attorneys are loath to work for free for too long. Uh, it's, you know, sort of part of the industry. It is a business and mm-hmm. you know, it's expensive to litigate stuff. Yeah. Indeed. I was going to say that if you open up and they charge you the five thousand, then you have to open. Then you want to open up, you know, uh, you know, another, or you want to get another license, and they charge you the ten thousand. I don't think that that's bad. I don't. I don't think that that's bad at all because you have to think about if you're opening up another one. Clearly, the first one was successful. You've done great off of your first licensing, and you're looking to expand. And for them hitting you, excuse me, for them hitting you a little more, I think that it allows people. Uh, to kind of enter into the market to try to get theirs initially and, and it kind of I, I don't think that well I don't know I, I guess it could be a double-edged sword because the people who who um who aren't big corporations don't really have that money to shell it out you know what I mean so it's like it allows big corporations to kind of knock out little men too so it's a double-edged sword well it really is question of what does the power of the state amount to they have the power and the right to go in and do these kinds of things. And the state should be held to standards that if, if you have to charge a fee and it's got to cover the actual cost, you can't make money off of it. That really right. is the pissing match here. Tony. Oh, they hate that one. Because yeah, right. if you're DC, successful, DC, yeah, DC. that's all well and good. But if it costs $5,000 a year to go out and monitor a license and you keep tagging 5,000 more on for the next one, that's not reasonably related to the cost of enforcement. That's raising capital. That's a tax. Mm-hmm. And citizens have made it clear, you're not fucking taxing us unless you get our permission. Okay? And that's the battle. I wish everybody would be successful, but the state thinks it can do any damn thing it wants, and sometimes it's got to be punched right in the face. Well, I don't know about anybody doing that, because for as far as I, from my lifetime, I, I've, I've seen the state do what they want. So... <laughs> state... <laughs> Well, I just tried a case over the state taking or a county taking $13 million from growers and they never were able to grow a legal crop and we want the money back. And they're not protecting, they're not protecting nobody either. So they're talking about enforcement. They're talking about, you know, it, it, it costs money to regulate this shit. Where, where's all that money going to? You know, you can, you can, well, there's supposed to be an accounting. This is sort of the runaround in California. We started with prop 13 back in the seventies and we've had, Four of these come up on initiative where the voters have said, just stop this shit already. Don't get to raise money with a fee. And if at the end of the year you made money, then the next year you drop the fee. That's how this this goes. If you're going to do a tax, ask the voters. And if they say, yeah, tax it, put in the general fund, wherever, we don't give a shit. Okay, that's a whole different story. This is a gouging. And this industry gets gouged every day. Yeah, they do. It's just horrible. In every state, too. It's not just per- limited state. to one state. It's every state. Big every- shout out to the Big Sky State. Big shout out to Montana. Yes. I hope more judges uh, develop the cojones to do the same. You know what they call it, Rico? They're a libertarian state, okay? And they don't like Big Brother telling them what to do. Anarchy. You get out of my life. 
You know, yeah. that, that maybe that's where we get the most support here. You know what they call call Montana Rico, right? What they call it? God's country. And on that, we're going to go. That's, to the I mean, that's, that's what every, every every country uh, place says. And, you know, no, 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 Montana, 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 Montana's claimed that. That's that's been you know what I mean. Florida claims heaven's doormat, and Montana claims God's country. <laughs> heaven's doormat. Yeah. I think uh, Florida's more more of heaven's bath mat. No, 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 no. It's 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 heaven's doormat because basically that's where <laughs> where seniors. No, well, no, no. That's because that's where seniors flock to retire, and then basically that's you know the next stop is heaven's uh, doormat. Uh, I say it's more of the bacteria infested bottom of a of the bath mat that you refuse to throw oh, in the washing so, machine. Every, so every so 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 that's Florida. I have I have a housekeeper for that, but nonetheless, we're gonna go to a commercial. <laughs> and we're gonna be right back. <laughs> Relying on 25 years. How's it going, guys? Saman Razani coming to you from Green Street here with Jason Beck smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio-only version of our podcast available on Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and Spotify? Tune in now and check it out. How do you make yourself look small, Rico, when you're not small? I'm a, I'm a very, very small man. He's going to blame everything on Adam now. Speaking of small men, up next, he's known for smoking the best weed in the world and supporting <laughs> <laughs> large men with small hands mm-hmm. <laughs> that living in the bath mat of America. Y'all know who it is. Cannabis Industries' very own Kaiser Brose, Jason Beck. Oh, yes. Good morning, Rico. Hope everyone's having an amazing day today. Uh, for, first off, in regards with our story yesterday, in regards with uh, Mr. Um, in regards with the Santa Cruz robbery, we have spoken with the family, and I'm hoping that we can get them on on Monday. So make sure you check it out. And I think we're even going to do a special in-depth commentary in regards to this, Rico, with them. Be nice. And so, yeah, I'm going to be talking with them later today. But nonetheless, I have a totally different story for you today. You're going to this is this has been hot, hot, hot on the news today because a mother of a boy who shot a teacher gets 21 months in prison for using marijuana while owning a gun. That's right. The mother of a six year old boy who shot his first grade teacher in Virginia earlier this year was sentenced Wednesday to 21 months in prison for using marijuana while owning a firearm. Deja Taylor's son, who has not been identified, shot first grade teacher Abigail Zerner on January 6th at Richenek Elementary in Newport News, Virginia, a city of about 185,000 residents known for its ties to shipping for the U.S. or excuse me, shipbuilding for the U.S. Navy. Authorities have said the boy used his mother's gun and shot Zuner while she was reading to students in her classroom. Zuner was shot in the in the hand and chest and has uh, filed a $40 million lawsuit against the school district, alleging gross negligence. She was hospitalized for two weeks and underwent multiple surgeries. Taylor's son told police after the shooting that he uh, he stood on a dresser to take his mother's gun out of her purse, court records said. My mom had that gun. The boy told officers, I stole it because I needed to shoot my teacher, he says in a quote. Uh, in June... Uh, Taylor, 26, pleaded guilty in federal court to two charges using marijuana while owning a gun and lying about her drug use on a federal form. Taylor also pleaded guilty in August to child abuse in a state-level case for which is scheduled to be sentenced in December. Taylor's grandfather currently has custody of her son, prosecutors said, and federal prosecutors said they plan to seek a 21-month prison sentence and a term of supervised release. They argue in the court filings that, in quotes, not once, but twice, someone nearly lost their lives because of Taylor's offenses, citing the shooting of Zuner and an earlier incident in which Taylor shot her son's father after seeing him with his girlfriend in December. Prosecutors claim Taylor's chronic, persistent, and life-affecting abuse extends this case far beyond any occasional and or recreational use. After the shooting in January, investigators discovered 24 grams of marijuana in Taylor's bedroom uh, along with 
along with burnt marijuana cigarettes and drug paraphernalia, records said. Prosecutors claim Taylor also smoked two blunts sometime after Zuner's shooting and that she failed drug tests while awaiting sentencing on federal charges. In a quote, This case is not a marijuana case, federal prosecutors argued in court records. It is a case that underscores the inherently dangerous nature and circumstances that arise from the caustic cocktail of mixing consistent and prolonged controlled substance use with a lethal firearm, they say. Taylor's attorneys uh, in, in, in addiction is a disease and incarceration is not a cure. Taylor's attorneys uh, had asked the judge for probation and home confinement. They argued Taylor needs counseling for issues that include school. Uh, I don't understand what this schizophrenia disorder. I'm not sure about that. I'm sorry, you guys. A condition that shares symptoms with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. In quotes, addiction is a disease and incarceration is not the cure, her attorneys wrote. Taylor's attorneys added, if the judge decided to impose imprisonment, that she be sentenced to more than six months. Miss Taylor vulnerably stands before the court humiliated, uh, contrite, and saddened, the attorneys wrote. And in a quote, most importantly, she is utterly remorseful for the mistakes in her life that led to this horrific shooting of her son's teacher, who experienced a miracle by surviving. Earlier this week, two of Taylor's family members submitted letters asking for the judge to show compassion when deciding a Taylor's sentence. And with proper guidance and continued family support, I know my daughter can overcome this tough time and go through on and do great things, her mother wrote. And uh, six, the six-year-old had a history of behavioral problems, apparently. Court records reveal Taylor's son was troubled, in quotation marks, and had history of unprecedented unpredictable behavior that triggered previous disciplinary action at Rishnik Elementary School. Taylor told police that her son was diagnosed with obstructive defiance disorder and took medication for the condition, according to court records. In an interview on ABC's Good Morning America in May, Taylor apologized for his actions and, in quotes, I am, as a parent, obviously willing to take responsibility for him. He cannot he cannot take responsibility, uh, she said. Earlier in the week of the shooting, the teacher asked the child to sit down. He threw his arms up in the air and said, fine. And when he threw his arms up, he knocked her phone out of her hand on accident, Taylor said. That led to a suspension, she added. A legal notice filed by Zuner's lawyers described the incident uh, differently, saying the boy slammed Zuner's cell phone and broke it, leading to a one-on-one to a one-day suspension. When the boy returned to her class the next day, he pulled his mother's nine-millimeter handgun out of his pocket and shot her, according to the legal notice. School officials previously required Taylor's son to attend school alongside a parent as a result of his behavior problems. The week of the shooting was the first that he had allowed to attend by school himself, and Taylor's son told police that he had stood stood on a drawer. Oh, we mentioned this, that he stood on a drawer in order to get the 9mm handgun. This is just a sad, sad story all the way around. I, I'm This is just terrible news, and I want to hear what you guys have to say. And this is Jason Beck for the High at 9 News Hour. What do you all think about this sad, sad story? Man. I just want to say cannabis, this doesn't even belong in cannabis news. Cannabis shouldn't even be in the story. The only only mention of cannabis should be in a long list of things that this horrible, irresponsible mother left out for her child to get his hands on because I oh man. Prohibition dream I, right here in this story. Yeah, it's, I just wanna I just wanna say that this is Yeah, I agree not, with Stone. I feel like I, the cannabis is obviously yeah, yeah. like not even secondary or third or fourth right. in this story, but prohibitionists are going to love 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 to point out the connection with cannabis and i kind of feel that the government is throwing the book at her to make an example because we all know that they've been pushing so um, hard to remind hard us to that, that oh if you want to use cannabis forget about your gun rights and i really do believe yep. that they're just using this scapegoat situation go go for it i Tony. think that um i think that uh she needs the book thrown at her first and foremost this is a learned behavior 
she used the gun and she shot her ex, the, the son's father. Mm -hmm. See, while he was speaking, I was walking and chewing bubble gum. I wanted to make sure because before I made anything, any before I said anything about her, I wanted to make sure that I got everything that I needed to get about this horrible, horrible creature that people are calling a mother. First and foremost, she sits up there and um, she has two individuals next to her. One, I think that's her grandfather or father that now currently has custody of it. Mm -hmm. um, they only threw marijuana into the mix because, <clears throat> well, they needed to try to say that she's, there's no way you can just come out. How the media has created the sense of you can't talk bad about a minority is ridiculous. So they have to say, well, she's a marijuana user to try to make it seem like, oh, it's a big deal. But ultimately, that's going to go away. The, the 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 main thing about all of this that people need to hear out, you know out there is it's, this is learned behavior. The child heard the mother say things like "I'll shoot him, I'll kill him." The child knew where the firearm was, and the child realized that after the mother shot his father, and there was nothing that happened to her, and after hearing her rhetoric after that. He felt inclined to go take his mother's gun and go shoot a teacher in school. The mother should be in jail for a lot longer. Fair, 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 fair. It's all, it's, 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 it is all in the parents. Uh, yeah, period. It's I agree. It's bad parenting. Doesn't even deserve to smoke weed. Anybody yeah. who sold her weed should go to jail too. And not because yeah. you, she shouldn't smoke, because she's such a horrible person. Whoever sold her weed gave her something good, and she should never have anything good because what she did to her kid, man. Yeah, yeah, I feel, I, I feel. I, I, yeah, I agree. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, um, that I, I, the whole marijuana or cannabis yeah, usage thing is is secondary, third, fourth uh, on the list of uh, this just bad parenting. Um, I don't, I, I don't think that she should be. And I very, very, very rarely say this, especially with my wife being a social worker too, I very rarely say this, but um, she should not have custody of no, this child. She should not have custody, not to mention um, any, any, any visiting rights should definitely be supervised visiting rights. And uh, this, this is just a, just a tragic, tragic tale. No, it's, it's, they, they're going to be supervised. She should be behind bars, behind glass. That would also be supervised. There, that's a supervised visit. That'd she be a be supervised there for like the visit too. Five or six years. Yeah. She should be there for five, six years. Someone got shot. The teacher could have died. Mm -hmm. Children in the school could have died. 100%. You understand? Like, this is super serious. And like, and then it's like the news makes such a big deal, and they, as they should, whenever a white kid goes into a school with a firearm. And I mean, it's horrible. You're supposed to make a big, but anytime any children go into any school with a firearm with ill intentions, it's supposed to be super, super media coverage over it. That way we can get to the bottom of it. Because there, there, it's not there, a white and black thing. When this, when this happened, there was a lot of media coverage on it. Uh, this is a Virginia specific, but it, there was a lot of media coverage uh, on this one. And they're, they're finally getting into court for it. So and, I gotta, and, and I it, it was on, on that. It was the number yeah. one story on Google search engine this morning too. Yeah, it was, it was it, there, there was a, there was plenty of media coverage on it. It yeah. had nothing to do with it being a, a a black kid or a black mother or anything like that. But I do I, I do I do agree with you guys. They're putting the, they're putting the cannabis in there because they're trying to steer that that prohibitionist Clicks. rhetoric with the, with the guns yep. with the guns and people that mm -hmm. smoke cannabis should not own guns. That whole narrative that's just is totally totally mm -hmm. totally ridiculous. But on that, we got to keep this train train rolling. We are going to roll right on in to attorney at law the founder of armada law practice and your favorite uncle that loves to piss up a rope it is none other than mr dale schaefer uh good morning everybody it's your favorite local teal um my story this morning comes out of law 360 and it, it's a, about a bigger issue in the cannabis industry that people don't want to talk about the headline is Colorado top court declines to take up a receiver licensing fight. Now, it, it this involves what I'm what I believe is a dissolution of a marriage, and a receiver was appointed to help take in the assets. Apparently, they were insolvent and they wanted to get assets identified, hold for the court, liquidate them. That's what receivers tend to do. The Colorado cannabis people said, "Stop it." You're not licensed to run a cannabis industry. I mean, a cannabis business. So uh, we're not going to allow you to be the receiver over a cannabis, a plant touching cannabis business. Okay. And the, you know, the, the receiver company here and their uh, Sterling consulting group got a little pissed off about that. Uh, so they appealed that. And by the time that they had appealed all this, court had taken them off as the receiver for the company and pointed somebody else but they kept them on as the general receiver and um 
you know, I don't know that we're going to make a lot of sense out of where this thing goes. But the point I wanted to, to talk about today is that what, what everybody wants to look at is the opportunities in the cannabis industry. What I deal with is the businesses that have screwed the pooch here, that are insolvent, upside down. They owe everybody and his brother money. Now, what are they going to do? Bankruptcy courts have not accepted jurisdiction over a plant-touching business. They've gotten close. We've talked about a couple where they're close and allow you to go to bankruptcy. But if you don't have access to bankruptcy and your business is insolvent and you've got creditors that want to come after you, you're in a, a bad situation. So what we do here in California, and I think this rings true in many places in the country, is that the court will appoint a receiver. If somebody files a suit that wants to get paid, they're a creditor. Hey, you owe me money. I want to get paid. You file a suit, then you can request the court to appoint a receiver. In California, there's only a couple I know of that the courts allow to be appointed to run a cannabis business. We work with one of these groups. Um, but we also work with groups to try and sell insolvent businesses without getting into court. Because when you appoint a receiver, you basically, you lose control of your business. They're an agent of the court that takes control of your business, runs it, brings all the revenue in, identifies assets, identifies creditors, and they then assign assets to creditors. And by the end of the day, you accomplish basically what you get out of a bankruptcy is that your debts are settled. Okay? That's the whole purpose. But what people don't want to talk about is in California, we have just scads of businesses that are upside down and insolvent. And I've been working on these for some time now to try to figure them out, and they're not easy. Um, if you have friendly creditors, I've worked out deals where their creditors agree to a private agreement to settle the debts and to liquidate assets and things like that. And if the license is intact, we try to sell that. But if you don't have friendly creditors, now you run into a receivership situation and it's it's a mess, it's a mess. And this is going on more than you think. And here in California, if you're insolvent as a cannabis business, you don't have a lot of options. There's only, like I said, a couple of um, companies that have been authorized by the court to be receivers to run these businesses. Um, and there's a whole lot of businesses that need this service. Oh, if you're a, a cannabis business and you're in, you're insolvent right now, you can't pay your bills, people are barking at your, your door to get paid, you don't have the assets, there aren't a lot of options. So I want people to think about what do you do if you run these businesses, you don't want to talk about it. It's like, you know, no one wants to talk about being bankrupt, but sometimes you need to do that to clear your name. And what we try to do is set up asset protection businesses so that if you do end up uh, upside down and backwards in a business, your personal assets are not at stake. Okay? You can have an LLC or a C Corp, and once the you know the well is dry, your personal assets aren't at stake. So there's a lot of pieces of this puzzle. It's an issue we'll talk about more. It's like the gun issue we just talked about before. It's going to continue to pop up. It's going to have bad connotations, but it's going to have to be addressed. Uh, I want to know what you all think about this because this is just the ugly underside of the cannabis industry and there is no happy answers here. Yo, Loco, back at you. Tell me what you think. Yeah, receivers, uh, receivers, they will just, if you're already insolvent and you get a receiver, you're by the time, by the time you get the receiver in there and get them out of there, you're going to be even in more debt than you were when you started. Well, that's one of the problems. Mm -hmm. okay. And if you have unfriendly creditors that are suing your ass to get their money back, mm -hmm. and your choices tend to go away, and that's part of the problem. We have worked out with friendly creditors these private agreements to liquidate and let people move on. But if people aren't willing to work together, and uh, courts are where you end up, and you lose control, and it's costly. Yeah. That is that is for sure, and yeah, the and, and these uh the, the these receivers are are not cheap. Okay, they 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 uh they they commend a hefty hefty price tag to run your business. They don't even operate your business. They just will basically have your employees keep running it, but just at their direction. And it is just a nightmare. And I feel for any 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 cannabis company that has to go through that, it is a nightmare. 
Well, but if you're not thinking about that when you're setting these businesses up, then it's going to bite you on the ass when you end up insolvent. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody wants to talk about, I'm going to do great. I'm going to sell all kinds of weed, make all kinds of money. But how realistic is that going in? If you don't have a plan for what happens when you can't pay your bills, if you have a sugar daddy, are your creditors going to give you more money? Do you have to sort of shepherd the money you get and not waste it? Mm-hmm. And the industry, when it first got started, these knuckleheads were buying their girlfriends, BMWs and stupid shit like that with creditors money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the end of the day, your girlfriend ain't going to get your ass out of trouble here. So yeah. A plan is a good idea and uh, find somebody that you know that you can trust if you can trust an attorney in the world. And I'm telling you, I've been one for a long time and you know I'm skeptical, but find someone you can trust and get advice that, that uh, you can rely on and take action on because these, these will destroy your world. If you don't have an asset protection business where you've signed some sort of a guarantee of these uh, creditors, mm-hmm. man, your life is going to be ruined that's facts that's facts and uh anyone else on that all right well seeing 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 no takers we're going to move to a commercial and we're going to be right back the control tower from highly educated has perfected the dab utilizing the concept of thin film evaporation you can waste none of it and taste all of it the micro texture of the se pillar increases nucleation at elevated temperatures and With the tower propelling at 2,600 RPMs, it's certainly the most efficient dab experience to date. The Control Tower from Highly Educated. Uh, If you're enjoying the show, do us a favor. Do yourself a favor and hit that like button. Also, too, if you're not subscribed to the channel, make sure you subscribe to the channel. And all of the stories that we cover on today's show, you can find on our website and read them all at www.hiatnightnews.com. I'm Jason Beck, and this is Smoky Vanilla. And if you want to feel as good as I look, then you need to get yourself a stretch and smoke with Smoky Vanilla. That's right, baby. I'm Smoky Vanilla with my background in kinesiology. I'm a sports massage therapist and stretch coach. I focus mostly on athletes who have chronic pain or injury due to their sport or the legends of the chronic in the game, baby. Oh, yeah. You know what it is. We just stretched and now we're going to smoke because you know what it is. That's right. I love intuitively creating a session based on the individual I'm working with. We'll go through a few assessments, look at the past health history, injury, or anything that's still affecting you today, and create a customized session just for you. Let's go. You're on, you're on mute or something, Rico? You're on mute. There you go. That's something like that. I love that go. new beat, man. It's nice. That's a, that's a, but, little, um, that's a winner. I like that, man. A little, little G-mix on that. Yes. I like that. But, uh, but coming up next, you know what? When the great purple state of Texas decided Delta 8 dab sessions were the future, this Austin-based dope dad decided hitting the high road was a much better life decision for him. You know who it is up next? The man. The myth. The legend, who knows where he is today, but you know it's going to be involving weed and maybe a little bit of parenthood. Stone Slade, what do you have for us today? Thank you, Rico. Thank you, sir. Good morning, Hyatt Nine listeners. Today, I've got an intriguing story about a group of Massachusetts cannabis businesses taking a stand against the feds. I'm a farmer, begins John Potaski. Uh, I know I just butchered that name, and I apologize, John. Uh, of Wiseacre Farm in West Stockbridge, Massachusetts. I grow vegetables, flowers, and yes, cannabis, and I'm damn good at it. Wiseacre Farm, a state-licensed outdoor cannabis farm, represents a new era in agriculture, but it's not all rosy. The farm now cultivating 4,000 cannabis plants is part of a coalition suing the federal government over what they see as archaic and harmful laws. In a landmark case filed against Attorney General Merrick Garland for four Massachusetts cannabis businesses and investors, including Wiseacre Farm, Canna Provisions, Geisa Sellers, and Verano Holdings Corporation, are challenging the federal government's stance on cannabis. The lawsuit filed in the U.S. District of Massachusetts claims that the federal laws are unfairly burdening businesses operating legally in the state. Despite Massachusetts decriminalizing cannabis in 2008, 
legalizing medical cannabis in 2012 and approving adult use cannabis in 2016. These businesses are still considered federally illegal due to the 19 due to the 1970 Controlled Substances Act. Meg Sanders, CEO of Canna Provisions, argues we want to see cannabis as an industry thrive, be treated fairly, and have access to more than more than just checking and savings accounts. The complaint led by the prominent law firm Boys Shiler Flexner centers on the argument that while Congress can ban cannabis from interstate commerce, it oversteps its authority by interfering with state-regulated interstate operations. The crux of their case points to a 2005 Supreme Court ruling, which they argue is outdated given the shift in Congress and the executive branch stance on cannabis. Now, the plaintiffs, including Sanders, feel jaded by empty promises of federal reform, says, we've heard time and time again that something might happen, but so far no one has delivered. As of today, 38 states have legalized cannabis in some form, a stark contrast from 2005 when no state-regulated cannabis businesses existed. Massachusetts Cannabis Control Commission reported in August that adult use sales had hit the $5 billion mark in gross sales. Despite these numbers, Sanders highlights the industry's challenges, citing that only 24% of cannabis corporations uh, nationwide are profitable. The lawsuit also addresses the green tax, the additional cost cannabis businesses face due to the industry's federal status. Pasaki says everything is just 10 times as expensive and takes three times as long. One of the uh, lawsuit's key points is the danger of operating largely in cash, a necessity due to the industry's banking restrictions, which they claim threatens public safety. Additionally, the plaintiffs are ex excluded from various federal initiatives and face punitive tax measures under Section 280E of the Federal Tax Code preventing them from writing off any business expenses. Now, Wiseacre and Canna Provisions aren't just businesses, they're community pillars. From Wiseacre being the largest employer in West Stockbridge during the harvest season to Canna Provisions uh, recognition as corporate citizen of the year by the Lee Chamber of Commerce. These, these companies are proving their local value to their, to their local communities. Both Pisaki and Sanders entered the industry recognizing cannabis's potential healing abilities, despite the progress, they acknowledge that the stigma around cannabis persists, fueled by federal government's attitudes. Sanders reflects, if we are successful, I'm thrilled. If we fail, I'm thrilled to be a part of this lawsuit too. This isn't a stop, this is a journey. I believe in safe access to plant-based wellness. Now the US District Courts of Massachusetts now has a 60-day window in which to respond to this bold challenge. The lawsuit isn't just a legal battle, it's a symbol of the growing dissident against outdated prohibition views. From my perspective here at the High Nine News, it's like watching David take on Goliath, only this time David's armed with a cannabis leaf and a whole lot of common sense. As we eagerly await the court's response, one thing is clear, the tide is turning. The narrative of cannabis as a harmful and misunderstood plant is crumbling under the weight of evidence and public opinion. And let's be honest, in a world where you can enjoy a latte with a double shot of espresso, the idea that cannabis is still tangled with this federal red tape is ridiculous. Stay tuned, we'll keep an eye on this case. I'm Stone Slade reporting for the Hyatt Nine News. Wow. 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 It's about wow. time we um, reopened the Wickard versus Filburn nonsense that we got out of the Rach case. Mm -hmm. Stone, what they're talking about, the 2005 case was Rach versus Gonzalez. And I've talked already about how Clarence Thomas, in, in the dissent there, um, he, just, he just shredded the federal government. That the only way this works is if you have a uniform policy of federally. That's how you get the Wickard versus Filburn um, hacking. But as he pointed out then, and it's even worse now, there is no uniform federal policy for cannabis. We have the, the McClintock Blumenauer, you can't spend money now, which ties their hands. And they've backed away. They've got all sorts of internal um, non-prosecution documents and memos out there. Their policy's shit. And it's about time somebody called them on it and I think this new conservative court will take a fresh look at this and tell the federal government not. And also, you cannot say with a straight face it should be in Schedule One because they claim there's no, you know, current medical use. It might have been a true in 1937. It's not true now because it is used. We have the PTS study, PTSD study from Sue Sisley is one, just one example. It's about time they flush this old thinking down. I hope they get jurisdiction over this and they can challenge it because I think they're going to lose. State, the federal government's going to lose. Mm -hmm. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I I agree with you, Dale, one hundred percent on there. That that that's exactly what needs to happen, and and that that is the course that needs to happen. And the federal government would definitely lose that battle with those types of arguments being placed before them.
Nothing else from you guys, really? Nope. You guys quiet over here? Yeah, I mean, it, when I, when I, when I, I know I brought this. I brought this one up last week. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm saying like it could set precedent, and um, it is very, very, very telling. Or I think it was like two weeks ago. It's it's, it's very interesting uh, that they have like all of the components within this uh, uh, lawsuit to make it work. You got MSOs, you got small business owners, and you have the one listed name on it is a black social equity <laughs> applicant. <laughs> like they're pandering to every notable constituency here. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So if you're, against, if you're against this initiative, then you're not American and you hate weed. It's exactly. pretty much what they're saying with it. <laughs> so um, we'll see. I mean, we'll see where it goes. It, uh, it's just, it just has all the uh, pandering ingredients uh, right there to just know that they're poised for victory. I mean, that kind of mes- away, baby. That, that kind of messaging yep. does resonate with voters <laughs> in all fairness. We got, we got somebody for everybody. We got MSOs. We got the big bankers yes. in there. We have the small, the little guys in there and we've got the social equity applicants. The, the one name that is in, it's the in one name is the one black social equity applicant. So if you don't like this, if you don't like this, uh, this initiative, then we don't like you and you need to shut the hell up and know your place. <laughs> yes. Oh man. Oh man. The token one, the token one. Oh boy. Here we go, Rico, but we're going to keep, we're, yeah, we're, we're going to just keep this train, train, train rolling. We are going to move right in to the editor at Green Street at Large. And she is also, excuse me, Green State at Large. I'm, I'm, I'm Paul. Damn it. Son of a fucking bitch. But nonetheless, let me tell you what's even more important is that she's newly engaged and going to be a bride to be because her fiance just proposed to her. It is none other than Miss Rochelle Gordon. And she said, she, yes. didn't, she, didn't, she didn't break it up. You know that she didn't she didn't propose to her fiance, man. Because I watched man. the pictures and I saw him bend a knee. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah, read, read the Instagram caption, Rico. Exactly, Rico. <laughs> Get with the program, bro. Need to get back on social media. Yeah, Maybe exactly. Be, you know, up with the time. Stop with all you know these woke, woke thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Awake. Well, thank you. I appreciate you guys and your shout outs and your love. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we are very happy. Kurt, if you're listening, love you. Um, I'm here to talk about hemp derived Delta nine. I know it's a topic that we all know and love so much, especially stone down there Stone's in Texas. Favorite. Yeah. <laughs> Now, in my home state of Wisconsin, the hemp-derived cannabinoid market is massive, and so I decided to write a little piece for Green State, breaking it down. It's a little bit long, so I'm going to go ahead and just paraphrase it. Um, Essentially, with the legality uh, and access to cannabis dramatically varying from state to state, uh, people have decided to... Um, be innovative, I suppose, and try to come up with products that can appease the masses while also falling in line with federal regulation. Uh, hemp-derived Delta 9 THC has been gaining traction throughout America. Depending on where you live, Delta 9 products like drinks, gummies, and vapes are readily available in smoke shops, gas stations, and even liquor stores. Uh, the cannabinoid uh, technically is just like the THC you buy at a dispensary in a legal state. The only difference is it comes from hemp plants instead of cannabis plants. And people may wonder, how is this legal? Which is a valid question. After all, marijuana remains illegal on the federal level, and markets with regulated cannabis can only sell THC products through a licensed retailer. And just like THCA flower, which we discussed before, it all comes down to semantics. Um, so as we all know, Delta 9 tetrahydrocannabinol, THC, is the compound in cannabis responsible for its psychoactive effects, aka getting you high. And it is found in both marijuana and hemp, although the concentrations vary. Um, and hemp-derived Delta 9 comes from hemp, obviously. Uh, and technically, both are forms of cannabis, but the difference lies in the genetics and how the uh, the cannabinoid is produced. So the United States government defines hemp as cannabis plants containing less than 0.3% THC on a dry weight basis. Anything higher than that, and it's marijuana, the USDA set this definition in the 2018 Farm Bill, a federal law that officially legalized hemp nationwide. So 
How is hemp-derived Delta-9 made? So since the THC concentrations are lower in hemp, uh, it still exists, though, and it can be extracted. THC is simply isolated after the extraction process, separating it from the more prevalent compounds like CBD. Some Delta-9 makers do opt for this method of production, but it's not the only game in town. The other way to create Delta-9 is through a process called isomerization, CBD, which is the cannabinoid prevalent in hemp, is turned into Delta-9 using a chemical process. This is also how compounds like Delta-8, Delta-10, and HHC are made. Both of these processes are commonly used in the hemp-derived market, although isomerization is often considered more cost-effective for large-scale producers. And looking at any random Delta-9 product on the market, there's really no way to tell which production method was used since brands don't actually need to indicate it on their uh, labels. Now, whether or not this is legal, technically under the eyes of the federal government, the answer is yes, right? Since they only really care about the THC pre-harvest uh, and also the dry weight basis. So if you look at a drink or a gummy that has 25 milligrams of Delta-9 THC, how does it pass the test? Well, if you consider the weight of all the other components like sugars, water, pectin, other ingredients, THC is a drop in a bucket. But it's important to note that some states are moving to ban hemp-derived cannabinoids that have intoxicating effects, uh, especially if they're chemically created. Um, the U.S. government is expected to tackle this uh, confusion head-on when they review the farm bill, which could be any day now, uh, um, but the outcome remains to be seen. Um, and while uh, hemp-based products are all the rage in prohibition states, they're also becoming more prevalent in legalized markets as well. Why would you want hemp-derived THC if you can freely access cannabis? Uh, it once again comes back to that accessibility conversation since hemp-derived products are not subject to the same rules as traditional cannabis. They can be sold online or in unlicensed shops, increasing availability. In many states, Delta-9 is not subject to the same taxes as marijuana, meaning it could theoretically be less expensive than what you would find at the dispensary. However, a lack of regulation of these products is a cause for concern. Um, since the hemp-derived cannabinoid space has been lauded by consumers who are able to catch a buzz legally in places where they may not otherwise be able to, the market is highly unregulated and severely lacking consumer oversight. Now, this is interesting. A recent analysis of several unregulated Delta-9 THC products addressed these concerns. Of the 53 products tested, two-thirds had mislabeled potency, over 70% lacked proper impurity testing, around half of them were created through chemical conversion. Uh, the bottom line is there's just no way to tell precisely what's in the hemp-derived Delta products you buy at the gas station or online. Uh, the best way to, to determine legitimacy is by looking at a product's certificate of analysis, which showcases the testing results. If a COA is not available, uh, that's a major red flag. And so while THC remains a controlled substance in the eyes of the government, hemp-derived Delta-9 is currently legal, but future legislation could change that. Meanwhile, the cannabinoid remains popular in states across the country. And while consumer safety concerns have some lawmakers alarmed, fans of the product are seemingly shaking their shoulders and shrugging their shoulders. It's safe to say that the hemp-derived THC market was born out of necessity. If cannabis were legal nationwide, would people have sought out alternative ways to skirt the rules and create a way to get high legally? Maybe, maybe not. One thing is certain, a framework and path to regulation would likely increase product consistency and ensure consumers are getting what they paid for. So I'm Rochelle Gordon. I'm the editor of Green State reporting for High at Nine. I already know what you guys all think about the hemp-derived cannabinoid market, but let's hear it. Oh, she already knows where this is going. Well, let's let Dr. Mark Sheldon is said in the chat. He's saying that isomerization wins because of cost saying you cannot determine converted from natural is simply not true but how how do you determine that like let's say you buy uh, a drink or a gummy it's not anywhere on the product how does the consumer know how that product was created the consumer doesn't um in, in all reality i mean and in, in in all fairness there was just a a big recall here in california on a number of SKUs that were using hemp derived uh uh hemp derived uh distillate 
and, and and so a lot of people a lot of people can't one of the one of the traits to look for when you are looking at distillate is there'll be it'll have a much more amber reddish color tone to it if it is, ha, has been converted looking at the raw ingredients that's one way to tell oh sorry dale this all goes back to how stupid they were in uh coming up with these definitions for hemp um because i mean i i keep remembering that they hired joe kennedy to clean up the stock market because he fucking manipulated and made millions of dollars they need to hire people who know how to manipulate these substances then formulate rules and regulations to stop people from you know getting in between the lines you know, if you know organic chemistry and you know how to do this, it's not difficult. There are pharmaceutical manufacturers and equipment out there that you can buy commercially to take hemp-derived CBD and change the pressure, the temperature, and put it in the place of chemicals and turn it into Delta-9 THC. Now, that's what they do. And no one thought about that going into this. This is just ignorant on the part of policymakers I'm not sure they're going to get smart enough to figure it out going forward unless you hire people who do this to tell you how it's done. California says all isomers, anything that says THC, it's all banned unless you go through the cannabis industry. That's how they attacked it. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to fix this. On, on, one hand, you gotta love, on one hand, you got to love the outlaw aspect of them finding a loophole and jumping through it. On the other hand, I've said it a million times, it pisses me off that hemp has jumped the line of, can of cannabis and we're this inferior product that's not regulated. It's out there. Really, I mean, it, it's mocking the federal government. It's mocking what we have for an industry by basically doing what the industry does without being regulated and without being tested. It's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, and and, and and Rochelle, to answer your question, uh, Dr. Mark just ch chimed in. He said, you can tell by HPLC testing uh, with a lab in regards with those products. Which is yeah, which is awesome, and I'm assuming that's what they did in that analysis that I referenced, but the issue is that a consumer's not going to do that, right? They're just going to, like, no. buy it and, and not ask questions. Um, and so I think for their sake, but at the same time, do they really care? And this is something that I've been asking a lot of consumers they're like, look, I've been buying weed from some dude my whole life. I never asked questions about it. Why would I start now? And that's fair. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe maybe people don't. No, care. it's not. It's not. It's not fair. Um, and the sad thing is that I, I think that majority of Americans go to the grocery store and pick up items without even looking at what it is that they're purchasing and they're digesting. I just think that it's. Um, I want to know what I'm smoking. So if I'm putting it in my body, I want to know what it is. And I think that. People need to make uh, people need to be more conscientious about um, how they choose to medicate themselves. It's one thing to say, "Well, I'm doing this for medication," and and you think you're medicating yourself, but then you're putting stuff in your body that could be potentially harming you. Mm -hmm. Without a doubt, without a doubt. But I mean, Stone, you gotta love some, use some Delta Eight, boy. Oh yeah. <laughs> i tell you what though jason when i did come for halloween jason had what he called the best delta eight in the world and i took him for his word before it. i didn't smoke it but jason was puffing away he was he, he's he, i i bet i bet and just just by even saying that everyone knows that you're totally full of bs but it's okay we still love you stone and we love the great red state of texas you know the best part about being in austin stone slade Oh, man, I, this joke gets better every time I hear it. Go ahead, Jason. You're surrounded by Texas. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, my little purple spot here, surrounded by this red sea of, of, of rural Texas. Yes, 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 that's right, that's right. Um, and I, I don't know where Rico went. I'm, I, hope, I hope he's all right. Um, but nonetheless, we're going we're gonna to keep this train rolling and get this, get this going. Coming up next... That's right, it's the man everyone loves to hate. He is the voice of the black conservative voice that Joe Biden would love to silence for even acknowledging existence. That's right, it is coming up to the stage is none other than Mr. Tony Montaga. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And to all my co-hosts today, thank you uh, for being here and from all of us here at High Nine News. Make sure you smoke the best. Let's talk about my story today. It's Arkansas Marijuana Facility slapped with hefty fine for multiple regulatory violations. 
Little Rock, KTV. This story comes from KTV. Hot Springs Marijuana Cultivation Facility was fined thousands of dollars Wednesday after state officials determined they violated a series of charges. Leafology was, was facing fines up to $15,500 and a 15-day suspension. Walked away from the Arkansas Alcoholic Beverage Control Board's meeting owing $10,500. Charges range from failure to keep odors under control and a failure to properly label and store ma uh, medical marijuana in a safe or a vault, among other violations. Before Wednesday's meeting... Leafology paid $5,000 for 9,237 grams of inventory that could not be located. Now, for those of you out there, 9,000 grams, it's uh, about 1,000 grams per pound, 1,008 grams per pound. So that's about nine pounds. And at a street level of um, around 2,000 per pound, this, this facility could have quite possibly made $18,000. Someone there did, and they only paid $5,000 on it. Um, during the ABC meeting, agents who wrote the violations were questioned about their feelings, and residents living near the Garland County Cultivation Facility shared their concerns. Phil Higdon, Hig, Higdon, yeah, Phil Higdon, Higdon said he lives on the south side of the facility and shared his concerns about the odor. This guy here doesn't know what he's talking about. When you smell it, it's good. Um, noise and smell. I think 10500 fine is probably, they make that every second of the day. So I don't think that's impacting their pockets at all. It sounds like jealousy. He said, the suspension would have been a bit, uh, would have been um, a bit of thing as far as they really, as far as them really getting serious about collecting or uh, correcting the problem, which they haven't. Higdong said efforts from Leafology to improve the situation were not working and noted that he and other residents could potentially see themselves speaking on the same issues in front of the governing board down the road. Leadership and Council, leadership and council for Leafology noted, the reason the smell had been an issue for so long was due to a series of weather events that caused their pipes to freeze, leading their building to be damaged. We had a freeze event in December, below zero, multiple days. Highs never got above 32 degrees, Leafology attorney Damon Singleton said. It caused some issues. Leafology worked on those issues as best as they could. Singleton said there were also hailstorms that caused severe damage to the facility's roof. Scott Harden, spokesman, uh, spokesperson for the Arkansas Department of Finance and Administration, which manages the ABC division, said the state has eight cultivation facilities, and most of them are located in more rural areas. This is a little closer to, obviously, an apartment complex and homes, he said. That's why I think this has become such an issue. I do, too. Harden said, although the board decided to do away with the suspension and implement the fine, ABC will still monitor the situation. Leafology still has an obligation to meet the requirements, and that it, it and that is that there's no smelling, there's no, there, I'm sorry, there's not a smell surrounding this facility and that they continue to be a good neighbor, he said. Just because today's decision doesn't mean that ABC steps back. We have to continue to monitor this to ensure that there is compliance. And that looks like the end of my story right there. So for me, my personal opinion, you guys out there, make sure you leave yours in the comments. And I'm going to ask the rest of my co-hosts here what they think. I think that the residents here are just a little bit uh, jealous. You can hear he's pocket watching, talking about how much money he makes every day or they make every day. I don't think that they took in consideration that, in fact, there was a storm there in December and it could have caused significant damage to this facility. And I think that the people in and around this facility doesn't really understand the kind of um, money that could be brought in from just the tax revenue alone, not, in, not including uh, the benefit of you know how it could change the community for a positive. Tell me what you think in the comments. And for my co-hosts, let me know what you think. I'm sorry about the noise. Oh, oh man. So 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 they're hating on him for the smell. Am I am I correct on this? That's what they're finding him they're for. They're hating on him for the smell and it and they said that old some weed was missing, but clearly they stated because remember, even back here, my guy here in Texas, he remembers it, it froze over in and and um December. Tons of people out here, even in Texas, um, died because of the you know the severe weather conditions. Oh, and I they remember noted that. that. I I remember that. Yeah, they that. noted it. I remember that. And now they're trying to close down these people's business. And I just think that it's just a lot of hate and misunderstanding.
a lot of prohibition going on out there. I mean, but, you know, like in in Arkansas, this this is kind of par for the course a little bit. I mean, that is that is definitely a a very large uh, prohibitionist uh, state out there. You with me, Tom? Bill Clinton was out there. Yeah, well, I mean. Smell issue was used. It's like children. Oh, the children. Oh, I smell it. Okay. Well, it it doesn't smell like burnt weed. Mm -hmm. And that's an issue that we just butt heads out here in California all the time. People don't want to smell this. Well, you know, smell of this plant is nothing compared to the cow shit when you drive south on Interstate 5. Yep. But. You know that's okay because they're a cow county and it's agricultural. Or 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 when, or, 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 or Dale oh or, 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 or Dale when you're uh when you're in when you're in Colorado and you're passing the Purina factory and oh my God that's the most probably rancid smell is that's probably even worse than the five in all honesty. Yeah, I, I think that's next. next. Slaughterhouse. I Yep. A certain day when the wind blows through town. Oh my God. Yeah. So see, bad. exactly. We, 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 the, and, and, but people want to continue to eat. People are going to want to continue to smoke, everything else like that. So people, people want to feed their pets and whatnot. So people have to do put up with some nuisance somewhat of the time in order to, for the all industries to th- survive and for us to maintain this quality of life that we all love so much. So, any other thoughts, Dale, Stone, Tony? All right, seeing, seeing as no bullshit, we, what it is. It's bullshit, is what it is. Is exactly right. I totally yeah. agree with you. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that this man is even having to go through that, and we sympathize with him and his efforts, and hope that he is, uh, hope, hope that he ultimately is victorious through all this, and they end up having to pay all of his legal fees. But nonetheless. Thank you all for joining us for another episode of High at Nine News. Thank you to all of our sponsors tuning in. Thank you to the audience for tuning in uh, daily. We appreciate you very, very much. We know you could be anywhere else, and we're glad that you chose to spend this time with us. And thank you all for getting High at Nine with us. It is America's number one daily cannabis news show.